0: earth if i have to do you hear me to the ends of the earth welcome back to reforged radio this week we're gonna be talking about lore, in particular arthas who has a full name i'm sure but you know arthas right we'll just call him arthas the lich king before he was the lich king I'm a little confused on all that as well. So Jason Lucas here, Shieldwald, is here to educate Uh, us. Good
1: evening, Kyle. Uh, I'm glad to be back here with you. And yeah, we're digging into a juicy lore topic this evening about Arthas Menethil. And, you know, you bring up a good point right at the top. We need to draw a distinction here between... Arthas, and the Lich King. These are separate entities for much of our story this evening. So, uh, you know, Arthas, as you probably know, spoiler from 16 years ago, <laughs> he, he ascends the, the Frozen Throne and and merges with the Lich King entity and, and becomes the Lich King. And then, He has a whole World of Warcraft expansion about him, and then many years later, a Hearthstone expansion and everything. So you probably see the guy with the cool armor, with the black metal and the skulls and the points, and you go, that's the Lich King. And it sort of is, or it eventually was, but it wasn't always. So I think that's that's a good point to bring up at the top. We're going to talk a lot about Arthas and the Lich King tonight, because we're going to talk about the story of Warcraft three. And Arthas is a major character in the story of Warcraft Three, and he is a separate character from the Lich King.
0: So, uh, I want to just break the show in half and ask, why is it human armor but it has an orc inside? But we'll, we'll one day we'll do the Scourge. I'm a little confused on those points.
1: I... <laughs> yeah, there are there's some weirdness. That I mean, the original Death Knights were created by the orcs, right? It was created by the orc warlocks because in in the wake of. Uh, the first war, uh, Orgrim Doomhammer didn't want he didn't want to use uh, fell magic, right? Because he had seen the destructive power of it. So he 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 tasked the warlocks with coming up with some new weapon they could use against the alliance, and they came up with death knights. And the first death knights were actually uh, humans, uh, the the corpses of human soldiers that were. Uh, uh, reanimated with the spirits of uh, of the the fallen orc warlocks, so maybe that has something to do with it. Um, I'm not exactly sure about uh, Arthas' suit of armor in particular, um, but yeah, it, there, there's a long and twisty history with. Uh, with with Death Knights and and this type of blood magic in uh, that in makes World sense War.
0: though like you know it was uh, they needed a front line for the spellcasters and I yeah I, I get you so mm-hmm. I, I assume that Menethil is a kingly line right like this is pretty classic fantasy we're not breaking the tropes people ride horses they eat with forks and spoons <laughs> kings have names that go on.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, Lordran is sort of your, it's its a very uh, traditional type of, you know, Western European set kind of fantasy kingdom. Right. And, and as we, as we open on the story of Warcraft 3, we talked about this a bit in the Medivh episode. We talked about King Terranus Menethil II of Lordran, We talked about Medivh visiting him and trying to influence him to take his people and move them west to the ancient continent of Kalimdor, for for in order to protect their future, and uh, he dismissed Medivh because he had more pressing matters at hand. The orcs, you know, some some of the orcs that had been uh, placed in internment camps after the Second War, uh, were were rebelling against. The, uh, the authorities of Lordaeron and also this mysterious plague was infecting the villagers of the Northlands and he basically told Medivh that he didn't have time for this because he had bigger fish to fry. Um, so King Terranus Menethil II being Arthas Menethil's father and lord of the realm for I believe canonically like 70-ish years that Terranus was was the king of of Lordaeron so he he's pretty up there when we get involved in this story right like Terranus is pretty much too old to defend the realm for very much longer and and Arthas is um I believe when we open on this story Arthas is about 25 so he's you know he he's kind of uh, uh Moving into full blown adulthood, right, and and he has a lot of responsibilities. It's it's a it's a weighty sort of situation that he's inheriting, right? He's he's sort of this beloved crown prince of the realm, and he's also a paladin of the Silver Hand, and he's destined for the throne of of the seat of all human power on Azeroth, right? Like, Lordaeron is is the the nation that united the human kingdoms. The dwarves, the gnomes, and the high elves of Quel'Thalas, to form the original alliance and defeat the horde in the Second War. This is the legacy that he's inheriting, right? So the, these are all factors that are that are shaping him into the young man that he is as the story opens. So this is this is kind of where we run into him, and and unlike Medivh, Arthas is a character, a creature of Warcraft Three. Um, you know, Medivh is a character that had existed prior and he's making kind of a surprise return. Arthas is a character that was created for this story and then, you know, fit into previous lore. But, you know, we're we're seeing all of the main beats of Arthas' story in this game.
0: So something that always kind of confused me about Arthas was the Paladin Order, which is not a Jedi clerical religious sort of sect. You can still be king? Or is he at summer camp? What's... <laughs> how... <laughs> why did the king send his... <laughs> is it his only son to become a paladin?
1: Uh, I believe it's his only son. I, I think that, as far as we know, Terranus' children are um, Arthas, and uh, Arthas has an older sister named Callia. Um I, uh, you know, I'm not sure about the bylaws of the Silverhand and about paladins becoming... Uh, uh you know kings or, or any anything of that nature. Um the the Order of the Silver Hand is relatively new at this point, right? Like it was really forged during the Second War. The the, the concept of, of what a paladin is is still relatively new in among humanity at this point. And um they're primarily like a military force, right? They have they have other duties, responsibilities, callings but there's sort of these these different elements to what the Paladin Order is about, and I mean they, they're primarily deployed as a as a military force, which makes sense in the context of these are RTS strategy war games, and we need these units to go battle things. So.
0: Right, you're not um, going to have a uh, an exclusive character faction that abstains <laughs> from war.
1: There's no like soup kitchen level or anything. Like, you know, obviously like and also through as the lore has been expanded over the years, like the different founding members of the Silver Hand had sort of different specialties. You know, Uther was extremely devout in the light, you know, and and sort of uh, uh, condescending about it in a way like he he, his faith in the light was so strong and he believed the light uh, directed his own actions so much that he could never be wrong about anything. And then meanwhile, you have Turalyon, for example, who was a great warrior primarily and who was called to the light and had all of these moments of doubt that the light accepted him or that he was making the right decisions in the light. So, you know, just, those are just two examples of, you know, two of the characters who founded the order who are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum of, of what makes a paladin. So... I think the 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 scope is pretty broad in in Warcraft as a setting, and it it's created a lot of opportunities for different
0: gameplay styles over the years. So that was smart. Oh, is is like, the World of Warcraft eventually after all? It still bothers me that uh, isn't he Uther Lightbringer, but his hammer is called the Lightbringer, so he's Uther <laughs> Lightbringer Lightbringer. Like you get into Thor, and it's like, where's your hammer? Oh, you mean Thor's hammer? No, it has a name.
1: Hmm. Uh, I think that is the name. well. He's Uther, the Lightbringer. So maybe they just—he just is really into his hammer, or yeah, it's like naming your 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 pet after yourself or something. Maybe does does Arthas have a hammer? He does. It's it's called uh, Light's Justice. It's the name of that big. His hammer looks completely unwieldy. Actually, it's. In in the in the original game, they used kind of generic models for the paladin hammers, are so kind of just big mallets on sticks. And over the years, especially through WoW, they've sort of stylized uh their uh, specifically Arthas and Uther's weapons a bit more. And you see this in um like Uther's model in Heroes of the Storm, for example. It's got that kind of that real broad, flat surface on the one the one side of the, the hammer head. And Arthas has this giant, like double-headed monstrosity that's like it looks like it's it's almost mechanical and it, it's it's brightly colored it was actually a weapon model that was in Warcraft as well um so and, and that's sort of reflected in the graphics in Reforged like the models for those characters in Reforged have these properties uh, that have been introduced into the art of the weapons over the years but
0: oh yeah look at this the lights vengeance is the quest item that you can get in World of Warcraft, I guess, to see this hammer. Wild.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, when when Warcraft 3 came out, that was one of the most striking things to me was the visual design of the paladins, you know? They had this just impossibly large armor, right? The armor looked like, almost like... Uh, uh, Terran marine suits or something, and it's ridiculous proportions. It's like, how could anybody actually walk around in this stuff? And then they have these massive hammers that no no human could actually swing with two hands.
0: And- I I like it. It's a good motif. I mean, they went with it in Dragon Age as well for the two-handed hammers. Uh, uh Fallout did the big uh, turbo hammer. Was it called in that game? Like, I I'm a fan I of so, yeah. a big no, smacker.
1: Yeah, I, I loved it. I just It struck me, uh, you know, it, it really made an impression because I think it just stood out from other games of the type, you know, and um, and also just the giant librams, like the big tomes and the giant chains that were hanging off of their belts and stuff. And I just thought that was such a cool look and, and it stood out a lot from, I mean, we were talking before about uh, kind of the world that we came from in 2002 when the game was released and a lot, you know, think of the CRPGs and RTSs of the day and, and you know... In general, a lot of the games in the genre have followed a really kind of realistic art style, right? It's like, it's it's just a, a little, it's a couple degrees off of the world outside your window. But when you look at a Warcraft Paladin, you're like, okay, we're in a different universe at this point.
0: So he is currently in with the light when we meet Arthas. He can cast Holy Light. He's capable of Devotion Auras and all the various spells, which I guess aren't really, you know, directly tied all of them but he can channel the light so does that mean i mean using my world of warcraft brain that makes me think that he met a crystal being who channels light into him and this is a whole complicated exchange and i never really <laughs> understood why as Artha starts to fall and slip the light isn't like "Ooh, better cut him off he's still healing people at the end of this mission we've gone through Stratholme. We've, we're on frostmort isle and he's still allowed to use all his paladin powers.
1: Uh yeah, that's a good point. Uh there is you know, this predates the concept of the naru at least in what we were able to play and the naru really don't have any place in uh uh the original founding of the silver hand and, and the paladin order and everything like that. Um I mean, you know, a, a big part of the the way that a paladin's connection to the light and their ability to channel it works is the faith in themselves right and one thing that we'll talk about as we get farther into Arthas's story is you know the guy has a lot of foibles and he makes a lot of bad choices but he never doubts himself Arthas always knows that he's doing the correct thing and that he's doing the best thing or the thing that needs to be done and um you know as time has gone on you know they've made a they've made a, a real uh, uh, concerted effort in the overall Warcraft universe to say, hey, you know, a lot of characters that we like are aligned with the light, but light doesn't mean good, you know, and void mm. doesn't mean bad, and there 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 are shades and degrees of everything, and you know it's the it's the balance of all of these forces in in the cosmos that keep, you know, keep our our reality in check. So that might I don't know if that was intentional. I, I think I think what you're talking about is more of a gameplay device, because it just wouldn't make sense to have this power certainly like just suddenly start being bad or useless or something, you know, especially as you invested in leveling them up, that would feel pretty bad. Yeah, Uther's but.
0: like, watch your tone, boy. It'll decrease <laughs> your healing by half if you give me more lip.
1: Yeah. There's no uh, giving Uther lip debuff, thankfully.
0: So so I've I've had exciting questions, but uh so we meet Arthas, he's got the light, he's got his hammer, yep. he's the yep. king's only son, and he is tasked with kind of being his own agent and starting to solve the mystery of this plague.
1: Yeah, so, you know, like like we mentioned at the top, you know, there's a lot of things assailing the kingdom of Lordaeron, right? And so as a knight of the silver hand... You know, Arthas has responsibilities, or or he he's an agent of the king, right? And can be, you know, dispatched accordingly. So, the first kind of little problem that he sent off to take care of, as we see in the game, is there's an orcish uprising, right? Your your orcs are always getting up to mischief, and so this is this is sort of a little foreshadowing thing because uh, basically uh, Arthas undertakes a small mission to put down this orcish rebellion you know uther is is the the commanding officer in this case, they run into some Blackrock orcs and they run into a blade master. And he mentioned something about, you know, the, the demon Lords and stuff like that. And uh, there's a little bit of foreshadowing, right. But, uh, but sort of just an introductory kind of like, here's the characters, here's how stuff works, move around and, and attack stuff is, is the, the gameplay bent. The storyline is sort of a little bit of a window into some things that are to come. Are to come. But, um, the, the story really kicks in when, um, Arthas is assigned to escort his uh, his boyhood uh, uh, companion, love interest, Shayna Proudmoore from Dalaran. He he's he's tasked with escorting her along the King's Road to investigate the plague. You know, there's this plague that's affecting the the villagers. The government doesn't really understand the the scope of it. They don't know what's happening. So, um, they're near the town of Brill. If you've ever played a world of Warcraft and you've maybe played like an undead character, you may be familiar with the town of Brill and, uh, they're just kind of going about their business, trying to see what's happening. And they get ambushed by an army of skeletons, uh, like you do. And, um, they they put down the, the, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you come across the way and the skeletons pop out and start shooting you. Um, they defeat the skeletons and they notice the grain stores appear to be blighted. There's something wrong with them, right? There's just like flies buzzing around them. The the land around the grain just looks wrong. So they destroy it in hopes that they can prevent it from spreading a plague, or or uh, you know they suspect that the grain is involved. Um, on their way out of town, they encounter a necromancer by the name of Kelthazad, and uh, he raises an undead army against them. And then and then he escapes the scene, and you know they, you start to see. Sort of the the type of uh, monstrosities that are being created by the cult of the damned and and by these necromancers, you know, these corpses that are stitched together to create these abominations and these these grotesque war machines, right? Um, so Arthas and Jaina they they put down the the forces that Kel'Thuzad raises in front of them and they decide that Anderhall's is their next stop. Anderhal is. It's a, a distribution center of sorts for Lordaeron's agricultural products, right? So if you are in some outlying village of the realm and uh, you're going to get some some grain to make some kind of bread or something out of you're probably going to get it from Ander Hall. So they arrive there and they confront Kel'Thuzad. They find him in town. And he explains so magnanimously that he and and the Cult of the Damned have already plagued the grain stores. And they've already sent them off. The grain's already gone from Anderhal. Uh, Arthas, as you can imagine, is not too happy about this. So he decides that the thing to do is just murder Kel'Thuzad with his hammer. Which he does, but not before Kel'Thuzad can mention to him that... His master, the dreadlord Malganus, is the one who's actually responsible for this plague. They're carrying out the will of Malganus. And Arthas needs to go to Stratholme if he wants to find out the truth. So this is where, you know, the stakes seem relatively small up to this point, right? Like, okay, some people are getting sick. There's some guy in a funny robe and a silly hat, and he's doing something bad to their food we're going to go hit him with a hammer. We win, go back home, right? No, it gets a, a lot more complicated than that. Um
0: but it's a nice, I, like, I think it's a foreshadowing. Uh, even you know yeah. destroying the grain so we get to destroying the people mm-hmm. Jane is still on board <laughs> so we have this moral compass. We are free of Uther's overseas, so Arthas is able to act on his own. We start to see what sort of character he is outside of being with his mentor. And Altogether, I mean, I, I love the beat of it. I love mm-hmm. Kel'Thuzad in that way, that he is this mastermind and organized Mal'Ganis. I love that Mal'Ganis It's like, wait, what? No, it, it, this isn't... <laughs> how, why are you here, first of all? And I am destined to win this battle. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yeah, it, I, I still love the way
1: the story plays out, even, even playing th- back through it recently for the, you know, umpteenth time. And... Yeah. Kel'Thuzad is an interesting character and he's somebody who operates on a couple different levels at the same time, right? Like he actually wants Arthas to kill him. And he also wants to undermine the dreadlords and the burning Legion that he's sort of ostensibly working for. So, um, it's, it's an interesting twist. It gets, it, it gets introduced very early in the game and doesn't pay off till uh, a bit later on. But, um, and, I mean, I'm sure everybody thinks of Kel'Thuzad as you know the the lich and the raid boss and the character in here's the storm or even the wacky narrator of the Hearthstone uh, adventure. But you know this was our intro to him and this this is where we see him for the first time in the game in his in his you know mortal human form.
0: Well, just Uh, that it goes on and he becomes such a. Bro, like (laughs) it is unreal just how much Kalthazad cares about Arthas. It's not only Mm -hmm. like, oh, my king, oh, my lich king. Like, it is literally like, dude, bro, yeah, we're going to get through this, man. You and me. Mm -hmm. We got movie night tonight. We're going (laughs) to calm down. We're going to chill with the ghouls. And we're going to, we're going to, it's going to be all right.
1: Yeah. I mean, Kalthazad really wanted to create this kind of like undead wonderland was the the in implement that was going to allow him to do that so um yeah he's he's very he's a very enthusiastic supporter of arthas later on now um,
0: why do i know the town of hearth glen um uh,
1: probably because you played uh, world of warcraft and did some adventuring in uh playland zones at one point in time um a lot of these, a lot of these uh, locations that we're talking about in terms of the Reign of Chaos story, you can find them in World of Warcraft in like the northernish Eastern Kingdoms. Think the areas around Undercity, for example. Um, this is where canonically these places exist. I mean, some stuff had to get moved around a little bit for in the transition from RTS to MMO because you need some move to run around, and. Um, some of the stuff had to get squished together because it, it didn't fit right, but the, the basic uh geography holds up. So you may know Hearth Glen if you've played um if you've played World of Warcraft, because that's that's a part of I believe it's in Western Plague but it's been a while. So it's yeah. <laughs> it's 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 up in the in one of the playglands. That's um, right.
0: The ruins of Anderhall and then lead up mm-hmm. to Hearth Glen, and then also in that area is Stratholm, but on the map it's something mm-hmm. completely different. And it would be uh like or Skolomance. hmm Yeah. Yes,
1: yeah, so the is nearby. Yeah, Stratholm is is a little bit farther east from here. Um I believe that Hearthglen got a rework in Cataclysm, and this was canonically where Tyrion Fordring retired briefly after uh after the events of Wrath of the Lich King. Um of course, uh he would not get to stay that way, but uh that's a whole other story. That's a story for maybe another sure.
0: time. I mean, he, <laughs> Arthas is so is so tied into this. I keep taking us on tangents. Um, That's. I mean,
1: uh, Arthas is he is he's a he's a deep river of continuity for this setting. So it's impossible not to. I, well, I, we, but he's we, also.
0: It's like talking Luke Skywalker. Like you, mm-hmm. the whole time you're talking about Luke Skywalker, you want not be talking about Han Solo. You want to mm-hmm. talk about Darth Vader because he's mm-hmm. just kind of plain bread. It's what you yeah, put on Ar- top of Arthas that makes a delicious sandwich.
1: Yeah, I I find Arthas to be a bit one-dimensional, right? He's kind of headstrong and impetuous. You know, he's he's sort of written a little bit like like you mentioned Thor earlier and he's he's sort of written a bit like like a, a Thor type of character, right? Like the chosen son who's just headstrong and and sure of himself to a fault and and makes mistakes along the way. I think the difference is that, like in in Marvel comics or something, you know, Thor tends to get out of out of the scrapes that he puts him and his friends in without too much permanent damage. But Arthur ends up basically destroying everything that he ever cared about in his mortal life, so the stakes are a little bit higher for him.
0: Now, I did forget um, about this part until my most recent playthrough. Mm-hmm. There is a Medivh turn back moment, and in a yes. classic hero's journey story. You have to have this element. I mean, we are doing the Campbell build of how to make a character. You come to a point (laughs) where there is a moment to turn back and you say no, and then you enter the other world. And he goes Mm -hmm. deeper in this way towards Stratholm. But but Medivh is just like, just go, just go west, man. Like, there's no need for any of this. Just go west. Be a part of the big army that'll fight the final fight you don't need to go on this journey for your people who are doomed anyway. Right. And
1: Arthas of course reacts the way that you, you would expect him to, even having only been with him for this short amount of time in the campaign, which is to say, my people need me. They need, they need my protection. They need me to do what I'm doing. I'm going to continue doing it. So I will not heed your warning, but you know, he's still traveling with Jaina at this point and she understands Medivh's point of view. And, and as we sort of discussed in the Medivh episode, you know, she's instrumental in forging uh, the, for lack of a better term, alliance that that ends up, you know, winning the battle of Mount Hyjal at the end of Warcraft 3. She is the uniting force from the human perspective, not Arthas. So, I mean, at this point, you know, Arthas is on the road to Stratholm. Arthas and Jaina have, they now understand that, The plague is actually the plague of undeath. The plague is not engineered to make people sick. It is not engineered to kill people. It is engineered to transform them into these undead monstrosities to be bent to the will of whoever at this point is controlling the undead army. So, you know, their their own citizens and their own soldiers are potential enemies at any point in time. Um, you know, at Hearth Glen, Arthas arrives a bit too late. The grain's been distributed. They've eaten it. And he gets there in time to watch several of the villagers succumb to the plague and transform into into these zombies, these ghoul-type creatures. And he realizes now that, you know, in in his estimation, the only way to defeat this is to basically call any villagers that have consumed the played grain, whether they're, whether they're undead yet or not. Uh, so when he arrives at Stratholm, which is a kind of a big regional city, once again, he's, he steps behind the grain delivery and he arrives at the gates of town and he sees what's happened and he orders Uther to purge the city. And Uther refuses. And He says even if Arthas was already the king, th- that he would never carry out such an order. Um Arthas is furious at this point and th- this is where you can sort of see the the madness starting to already claim Arthas's mind, right? He he relieves Uther of his command. He suspends the knights of the silver hand. Um you know under under the command of the king. Uther and Jaina leave him. They're disgusted at at his course of action and and they refuse to take part in it so you know Uther is his mentor his senior paladin he's somebody that Arthas has trusted and and looked to for for mentorship over the years and Jane is sort of this you know lost love in a way right they had sort of different paths in life Uh, uh you know they they had kind of a youthful romance and and then they just set off on different paths and you know she's been one of the you know most supportive people in his life up to this point, and they both say we can't we can't go down this road with you. Like the, what you're doing is wrong. So, Arthur, of course, is undaunted. He says, "No, all of you are actually wrong. I'm going to do this. Who's coming with me?"
0: Um. So, to yes, if this was you know if if I ran a sixth grade debate, this would be the topic. Was Arthas right? Half the class argues this, half the class argues that. There isn't any, like, zombie Hollywood issue with their being undead. But right. these people are about to become agents of the enemy. So instead of let them join an army, get swords in their hands as zombies, let's just <laughs> wipe them out now while they're innocent little villagers, right? Mm-hmm. There, there is nothing else to it. he the, the extreme isn't that extreme except for there'd be a city of undead.
1: Uh, potentially, yes. Like, as far as the information that the characters have at the time, like, no cure for the plague of undeath has been presented. Um, there's, no, uh, there's no thought or evidence of any way to reverse the process uh, once the plague has taken effect. Um, the plague is considered to be essentially a death sentence, you know, or technically worse than a death sentence, I guess. So you can I guess you can kind of understand in those terms why Arthas behaves the way he does but I I think that ultimately um the reason why you can is because it's so consistent with the way the character is presented up to this point in the story you know he he is very single minded and um he's he's constantly warned by his his elders, his mentors, his friends to not let vengeance consume him and, you know, to follow the path of the light. And, and you know, questions are raised about his judgment and sanity constantly, um, which begs the question, you know, when does the Lich King's manipulation start in this story? And, you know, how much of this is Arthas predisposed to? Is there is there something else going on with him that just made him susceptible to it or put him in this position? Um because you know people that have known him his whole life are, are aghast at the kinds of things that he's doing as the story begins to unfold. Um, so in the town of Stratholme, he confronts Melganus, right? he 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 has this mission now. K- Kelthazad burned this name Melganus into his brain, and he's desperate for vengeance upon Melganus for what he's done. To his home, right, like turned, turned his his citizens into these, uh, these abominations. He's created just the, these these horrific monsters to destroy his people and their lands, and and so Malganis is like the big prize for him, right? He's obsessed with revenge against Malganis. He finds Malganis in the city, attempting to claim the souls of the citizenry. So, Arthas essentially races Malganus, and this is the way it plays out in, in the campaign mission. You know, Malganus is trying to claim the souls of, of these citizens. Arthas and his loyalists are going basically door to door, trying to murder as many of the citizens as they can before either they get claimed by the demon lord or they become undead. Um, at the end of the mission, you know, Malganus tells Arthas that he's, he's leaving. He's like, you know, you're. this doesn't end here. But he says, he tells him to, to gather his forces and meet him in the Arctic land of Northrend. Um, and he tells him, it's there that your true destiny will unfold. And Arthas says that he'll hunt him to the ends of the earth. If if you've played, uh, if you never played Warcraft <laughs> 3, or you've never done this this mission, but you, if you've played the Culling of Stratholme dungeon in the Caverns of Time in Wrath of the Lich King, this is how it ends. You know, you, you're kind of running around with Arthas, killing these zombie villagers and then um you're defeating the bronze dragon flight and and the forces of the undead and then you square off with malganus and he kind of turns into bats and flies away and 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 it actually uses this via the same vo so that sort of concludes that's actually the last time that arthas will be in lordaeron in full control of his faculties as a human being
0: Interesting. So now he is completely obsessed. So why does... All right, so, th- so th- there's multiple layers going on. Kel'Thuzad wanted to die because he would transcend into lichdom. He had this mm-hmm. agreement, a paper signed from the Lich King armor <laughs> saying that you need to do XYZ to sort of make Arthas fall so I can ride him as my death knight. Mm-hmm. Malganus is working for the Burning Legion demon lords who all believe that the Scourge is under their control because they control the Lich King. Mm-hmm. Why does Mal'Ganis want Arthas to go to Northrend? Well,
1: the so we talked a lot in the Medivh episode, obviously, about the Burning Legion and the reasons why they want dominion over Azeroth. And their initial attempts involving the orcs, right? And the blood curse, the orcs, they they consider to be these perfect shock troops to scour the land and prepare it for, for the Legion invasion. Well, they didn't stop trying when the orcs didn't work out and they consider the undead scourge to be the correct answer to the problem of preparing the world for the Legion invasion. And, it's inherent in the name, right? The Undead Scourge is going to scour the land from any organized resistance to the Legion's invasion. Um, they, the Dreadlords are interested in, they are sort of the lieutenants of the Burning Legion on Azeroth, right? Like, they, the Dreadlords are interesting characters because they are kind of unique recruits to the Burning Legion. They are the race that developed the technique that allowed them to be reborn in the twisting nether when their, when their corporeal bodies were destroyed, which obviously the Legion uh, made great use of over the years. And the dreadlords sort of always have their own, their own priorities apart from, you know, what Sargeras wants to do necessarily. So in this case, the Dreadlords are interested in securing the Scourge's power in order to prepare the land for Archimonde's eventual arrival and the Burning Legion taking dominion over Azeroth. They see Arthas as basically a tool or a weapon to help them do that. So, Which is the same thing, I guess, that Kelthazad and the Lich King are doing they don't realize that they're both doing it to different ends right um, this is going a little bit uh, a little bit away from the mainline story here but nerzul who is the lich king at this point he um, he's a creature of kill jaden who is another uh, he he's one of the senior ranking officers of the burning legion yeah. um he made a bad deal with Jaden, and that's sort of how he ended up becoming the Lich King in the first place. And he is desperate to uh, to rally enough support to break this connection. And he, he wants the Undead Scourge to be a separate entity from the Legion itself. The Legion wants to assert their dominance over the Undead Scourge and use them as part of the Legion, essentially, or at the very least, to use them as... Their uh, their advanced troops on Azeroth. So, gotcha. It starts to it starts to branch out into some insane spirally directions when we get all of these characters in the mix. But, um, essentially at this point in the story, as as Arthas is beginning his great descent into evil and madness, all of these forces of darkness are using him to the same ends, even though. They each have their own sort of goals for where he ends up.
0: Right. So Kalthazad says, go find Mal'Ganis. The Lich King tells Mal'Ganis, find me or at least find my sword and everything's going to be great. And Mal'Ganis is like, yeah, sure. Hive mind thing. That sounds fabulous. I know we're on the same side. I'll get him to get that sword. And mm-hmm. hence the big betrayal when Malganus is like, what? Wait, wait, oh, no. How could this be? Uh, but, <laughs> right. And I guess we'll get to that in a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, so Arthas now he like again it, now Malganis has slipped through his fingers. Right. He 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 confronted him at Stratholm. His vengeance was close, and it escaped. So he marshals his forces. He sails to Northrend. Right. Northrend is the roof of the world, as they call it, right? It's, it's this Antarctic kind of wasteland, this you know, these frozen shores. Arthas establishes a base camp at Daggercap Bay, which is a location, again, you may be familiar with if you played Wrath of the Lich King. Um, and when they get there, they, uh, they encounter a company of dwarves. And they, they, there's sort of a confrontation happening until they realize that the leader of these dwarves is Murd Bronzebeard. Murd and Bronzebeard is King Magni's brother. He is also actually, um, he is the, the person that trained Arthas in the art of the blade in the first place. Murd and Bronzebeard, this is, this is side canon. This is from uh, the Warcraft 2 timeline. Arthas was a child in the, ki- in the court of his father. It, it Lord on and um, Murden as part of the uh, you know, the original line. He was in the court and he would actually train Arthas in uh, in swordsmanship. So, Murden is somebody that Arthas has known for a very long time. So, Murden is glad to see his old friend and pupil and he's grateful for the rescue. And Arthas is like, Well, uh, funny story, I had no idea you're here, I'm actually here for something else. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for bloody vengeance not to help you out. Um, so they establish a base camp, and they get a, a communique from Lordaeron. Zeppelin arrives, and the emissary says, listen, Uther has gotten in the king's ear, and the king demands you recall your mission. You need to bring your forces home right now. As you can imagine, Arthas does not take this lightly. Arthas has no interest in doing this. The fact that it was Uther's idea makes him even more. So, you know, he finds his men making preparations for departure, right? They're starting to pack up the base camp. They're going to get ready to get back on the boats. So Arthas rounds up Murden and he hires some mercenaries, some ice trolls, some ogres, various uh, indigenous uh, um, mercenaries on Northrend. And he hires them to burn down his own ships so that his troops can't sail home. And when the Lorderon soldiers arrive at the docks and they see the burning boats, Arthas blames the sabotage on the mercenaries he hired and orders his men to kill him, he, to kill them. So his men kill the very mercenaries that Arthas hired to burn Arthas' own oh, ships.
0: It's such a good moment.
1: I love that. It. <laughs> it, it's yeah, I mean you can just see this continuing descent of like the the how could you do this Arthas just keeps unfolding as as we move through this campaign. You know, he tell he tells his men that there's no way home for any of us and and that they'll stand and fall together. So, you know, there Arthas is continuing the the search for um uh for Frostmorn, you know, there's this legendary rune blade, and, and that's actually what I was looking for. I kind of glossed inspired him. So the reason why Merden was stranded and had to be rescued by Arthas was that um, they were in search of. They had heard of the legends of this rune blade, Frostmorn, and and they wanted to investigate it. And and I mean, the dwarves obviously by nature they are interested in old things. They're interested in things of the earth. They are uh, they're interested in in weaponry, right? the smith. So Arthur hears tales of the, of this weapon. And he's like, well, yeah, that could be good. I, I could, I could kill Malganus with that essentially. So they, um, they continue the search. They, they're at a location near direct Theron keep, which again, this is another place you can go to and work as well.
0: Um, yeah, I'm a little confused about how it got so full of trolls over time. <laughs>
1: <but>. <laughs> well, you know, there, there was a, there's the, the Dracari trolls, right? The ice trolls were were hanging out up there and they started turning into uh, undead over the years. And you know what happens when you start <laughs> turning undead, you start spreading out, right? You just the undead gotta go somewhere because they just keep coming back. So I think that's how it ended up uh I don't know what the I don't know what the etymology of Draktharan Keep is because it's the Drakari trolls, right? But like Dractharan Keep doesn't sound like a thing that trolls would build, even even like like a, a troll race on a different continent. So it's kind of in, I I wonder if like they just came up they thought that was a cool sounding name and then they were like, hey, how, what should we name these trolls on this continent?
0: I mean, is there a broken altar in World of Warcraft where Frostmorn was, or is that kind of an exclusive Warcraft Three? Location that we weave up. We even ride a a teleporter in one point in the Mm -hmm. game to get to it. I'm
1: trying to, yeah, I'm trying to picture in my head what the props in that cave look like. uh, And I, can't think of it but you can go to the location and there's actually a quest chain in wow where you see the events that we're describing here on the uh, on the shores of dagger Cap bay like you see the ghosts of arthas's men essentially and you see kind of this timeline play back out inside the mmo so um yeah if you if you go to northrend you can go to these locations i'm not i'm just not sure how dramatic the props are like if you're not on the quest line you might just go oh this is just a cave but um yeah, it, you know this is—it's it, actually um, the way they weaved it into the MMO questing experience was was pretty cool. It was a nice callback if you were familiar with the uh, with the RTS, and I think it framed up the the bad guy of Wrath of the Lich King pretty well, right? Like that was one one technique they employed in Wrath of the Lich King was really Arthas was kind of ever present in Northrend, right? And his his presence sort of invaded every element of the the. Level up questing there. You you knew who you were after in in that expansion, and um, you know, Arthas is Ar- Arthas Lich King is very Darth Vadery. So bringing some some different dimensions to him, or kind of explaining how he got to how he ended up, I think was was important. Um, but yeah, there's there is a there's a waygate. They like teleport via waygate, Arthas and murden do to this cave where they are convinced that they'll find Frostborn. And they do, and there's an elemental guardian in there, and who's a
0: butt and kind of hard to fight, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they, it's it's a tough job, right? It's a very important <laughs> job. You gotta you gotta hire the right elemental job, and uh, I think they did in this case. But but the guardian is desperately trying to stop them from claiming the blade, and the guardian explains that. It's not trying to protect the sword from them. It's trying to protect them from the sword. Um, but they you know Arthas and, and Murden defeat the guardian and the blade is encased in a prison of ice. It's sitting on an inscribed dais, and Murden is able to read and Endor uh, translate. It. I'm not sure what tongue he's reading it in, but uh, you know it, inscribed it says, "Whomsoever takes up this blade shall wield power eternal just as the blade rends flesh, so must power scar the spirit." So Murden knows what this means he's like, you can't use this. It's a, it's a, it's a cursed blade. We best leave it here. This is not worth getting involved with. What do you think Arthas does in this situation? He goes, yes, murder. That sounds reasonable. We should leave this place now. No, of course not. This is Arthas Menethil that we're talking about. He says, I don't care what you say to me, level-headed, lifelong friend, companion, and ally. I am going to do the exact thing that you know that I shouldn't do. So he cries out to the spirits of the place. You know, he, he kind of he kind of says some dark prayer essentially. The ice shatters. Merton is is kind of like semi-impaled. He's like in, incapacitated by this this shard of ice from the shockwave. Arthas claims Frostmourne, and he returns to camp. And at this point, you know, he's he's now in possession of this cursed sword, and this this is sort of the end of his humanity at this point, really. It's it's not a hundred percent obvious at this exact moment, but you know, Frostmourne is a weapon that's designed to steal the souls of everybody that it encounters, including its wielder. So at this point, Arthas is no longer, you know, his mortal human self, but you know, Arthas returns to camp and then he discovers Malganus's location. He confronts Malganus for the final time. And, uh, Malganus says something kind of ominous to him. He mentions that, uh, he, he took up Frostborn at the expense of his comrades' lives, just as the Dark Lord said you would. Um, to which Arthas basically says, "I don't care what you say; I only listen to to Frostborn." And Melganus um, says that he, actually, you're, you hear the voice of the Dark Lord, and he whispers to you through the blade that you wield. Um, and Arthas strikes Melganus down. You know he exacts his vengeance at, at the most terrible of costs. He extracts his vengeance against Mal'Ganis, and he wanders away from his army. He, he wanders into the into the frozen wilderness of of the Northlands. Um, it is confirmed canon that he does not die. Uh, it's it, it, it's a it's a little it's a little ambiguous in in the telling in the game because. You know, as part of the corruption of Frostborn and and the 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 loss of his mortal soul to the weapon and all this stuff, you know, Arthas looks kind of like a corpse, right? He's he's kind of pallid, he's you know, his hair turns white, his flesh turns white, and it's kind of drawn. So it's hard to tell. Is he is he like is he a cursed human or is he some type of undead creature? But canon is that he was alive this whole time. But his, his mortal spirit was destroyed, and uh, obviously his sanity went along with it.
0: But he does become a Death Knight, right? He, he is- becomes
1: a Death Knight, yes. He's officially a Death Knight without dying, which is which is quite a trick. But, um, I mean, it's pretty
0: badass, but yeah. I, I remember in the WoW Death Knight area, there's a pretty big thing about, like, we're just making bodies, dead bodies, and mm-hmm. you need to fight some people who didn't quite reanimate quite right, and <laughs> right. the people around you might not be quite right. We're not really sure who's a functioning death knight yet, but we don't really care because we're just sort of spamming you into the land for this one battle.
1: Yeah, it was a numbers game at that point. So, uh, yeah, the process, I guess, has un- unpredictable effects, right, of uh, the the resurrection into undeath. So, but, is there... so this, this is actually the end of the human campaign, which then... Uh, you know, as you may know, ends with the dramatic cinematic of Arthas returning to Lordaeron with his, you know, scourge retinue. And, you know, he gets the hero's welcome. He strides into the throne room and he, he murders his father on the throne and, and unleashes the plague of undeath, you know, fully within Lordaeron itself, within the capital city. So, um, which was, man, this stuff was was like a crazy twist. Uh, playing through it the first time, you know, playing playing is this. He uh, initially Arthas is kind of presented to you as this ultimate good guy, right? He's he's like the fair-haired, like handsome, heroic prince of the realm, and and you know this is this is how the story ends up. And then you play the Death Knight campaign.
0: Well, and just the the wandering off into the snow after you spent that time building that base and getting those forces up there, stranding mm-hmm. them. And now all of a sudden, without any explanation, you're back killing your dad. It's a it's a pretty dark twist, but it does happen uh, yeah. so early in the game that it doesn't stop you. You just sort of go, that's chapter one, okay. What possibly could top that? <laughs> right.
1: Like where what where are the stakes? Like, where are we going? I, I do
0: have a question though. So I've always kind of pictured it as a storage device, Frostmourne. It is capable, like Voldemort's wand or what mm-hmm. have you. It has a bunch of people in it. Mm-hmm. Did that stop Mal'Ganis from being able to rebuild himself in the Twisting Nether because he's in the blade?
1: That's a good question. Yeah. I kind of have always pictured it sort of like as a Ghostbusters thing, yeah. right? Like Yeah. <laughs> It's like the Ghostbusters vault in the basement. Um, it's a tough question because Nathrezim really play by different rules, and so you know it's entirely possible that Frostborn wasn't able to steal an eternal soul from Mal'Ganis because they were not connected directly to the Twisting Nether. Like, I, I'm not exactly sure how the process works, but the, the whole conceit with the Legion. And the technique developed by the regime, the Dreadlords specifically, was that they could shunt their consciousness or their immortal soul or whatever you want to call it into the Twisting Nether where they could reconstitute their flesh and reappear in the mortal world. Um, so I don't know if that means that their flesh on Azeroth is some kind of you know, soulless avatar that they're controlling from the Twisting Nether or what the case may be. I would say that if you killed Malganus with Frostmourne on uh, Argus, that that would definitely do the trick. But doing it on Northrend, probably not. I, I think, at the very least, the established canon of the setting provides enough wiggle room there to say, well, yeah, but Malganus he managed to escape because he did the Nathrezim thing.
0: Gotcha. That is the end of Arthas then right as as a as a human being when we get into Frozen mm-hmm. Throne Arthas is blocked or at least doesn't hear the whispers anymore is he now becoming at that point Arthas again or is he just such wholly a different person now there is no Darth Vader moment left for him to have
1: yeah i mean there's a weird thing i think that happens pretty much right away Dead campaign in Reign of Chaos, where it's clear that Arthas, Death Knight Arthas, King Arthas, as you will, as we get farther into the story, he retains his memories and experiences from his human life, but he is no longer connected to any of them. At this point, nothing means anything to Arthas except the mission put forth by the Lich King.
0: But he can still have friends, like he... Like, that's the weird part is like him and Kel'Thuzad, <laughs> he meets Anubarak, they become like, those guys are like, yeah, there's yeah. an exchange I, going on.
1: I think it's, I think there's a lot of people that he encounters. I'm using people broadly here because we're talking about all kinds of different creatures, but I think that Arthas likely doesn't have a lot of, I don't think Arthas is capable of affection at this point, sure. right? And so that if Kelthasad or Anubarak want to assist him in his mission of carrying out the Lich King's will, then that's awesome, and uh, he's glad that they did that. But you know, Kelthazad wants to basically be Arthas' best friend, and Anubarak, uh, in 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 a lot of ways, it's kind of the same thing. I think he's a he he comes off a enthusiastic, like Anubarak shares his mission in, in primarily, and not so much just wants to like pal around with him, but um, yeah, Arthas is, is sort of this emotionless creature at this point. He's, he's completely detached from the trappings of mortality, even though he never actually died. So he's sort of in this in this weird in-between space, I think, at, at, at this point in the story where he has fully given himself over to Frostmourne, and he's become an agent of the Lich King.
0: I, I love though that it gives... That wiggle room, one, when we get into Death Knight Arthas, as you roll around the initial level, people are recognizing you and be like, the cursed prince, how Mm. dare you show your face in these lands. It also means that you're listening to the whispers while there's all this room for error. And I love when games make that choice. It's always frustrating when... Prince of Persia, you're constantly falling, you're constantly dying because you fell. And then a cutscene is like, and you fall a really long way, but you're fine this time because there's a cutscene. And we're like, well, don't don't go changing the rules on me. The fact right. that Arthas is sort of lost allowed him to have that gameplay feel where I can be lost. And Arthas can sort of wander around and not really sure where he's going, what he's doing until we get to those really tight Northrend moments later on where it's basically Diablo get to the end of the mm-hmm. dungeon and he doesn't know how <laughs> right, he's going right. to defeat Illidan, he doesn't know how he's going to get and save his master. He's just trying his darndest.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, the the story is ambiguous. You know, the first playthrough, like you don't even understand who the Lich King is until you're already serving him. And it really hasn't even become clear who or what the Lich King is. Until much later on, if at all, within just straight up playing through the campaign, right? And, and and the machinations of the Burning Legion and the Dreadlords are not like super clear. And you know they use these kind of titles or or uh, honorifics for these different characters, and you may not know who they're talking about. So it's great because it, it, that experience that you're talking about is amplified within the story itself. You know they don't they don't just put a roadmap map in front of you and like. Uh, <laughs> Like a bad guy organizational chart, and say these are all the forces of evil, and here's who worked for who and what they're all called. Like you're kind of just adventuring through these missions, and you're seeing these different locales, and then there's these snippets of dialogue that you know turn a key that opens a door much later on down the road. So I think that's one of the most enduring parts of the way the story plays out in the game. I mean, it, in some ways, the story itself is is simple in terms of the events, but I I think the genius part about it is the like the broadness of the strokes at play, the amount of different types of characters and motivations and organizations and alliances and, and enemies that are forged in the telling. That's that's what makes this really special, I think, and why it's been such a deep vein for Blizzard to mine for the last 20 years.
0: So there's a lot more that goes into Arthas. He starts basically becoming a part of the story while also being a playable character, appearing in the Night Elf campaign, going on to just be part of the whole Sylvanas thing, and then you got this Maiev thing, and the Tichondrius business that happens. Frozen Throne is a faction warfare uh, gluttony.
1: Yeah, this is, you know... The crazy part about this is, if you've listened to what we've talked about here and thought, man, Arthur's really, he made a lot of mistakes. What, he was what a maniac. He really did some bad stuff. We didn't even get to the part yet where he kills everybody. So <laughs> <laughs> this is just what he did when he was a human being. Yeah. You know, when he becomes a Death Knight, stuff really gets wild. No, so. and that's
0: the best part is, is he's like, how can I resurrect you, bud? And he's like, all you got to do is invade a giant city, kill everybody on the way there, and throw me in. And like, oh, it's no problem.
1: Yeah. Let's go do that right now.
0: So he never dies. The only moment of Arthas that we have left is eventually in Wrath of the Lich King, when the Lich King is defeated in a raid. He sees the ghost of his father, who is mm-hmm. in the Blade, I guess, in the sort of Harry Potter, you know, Voldemort moment. The, the souls yeah. are being released. And his father appears to him. Mm-hmm. Arthas is himself for a hot moment before he passes on.
1: Yeah, um, you know, Terranus, obviously he was he was murdered by Arthas with Frostmorn, and and when Tyrion shatters Frostmorn with Ashbringer, the souls are released from it, and yeah, there is there's a brief moment of clarity and and peace for Arthas as his father appears to him and and he moves on. Um I mean Arthas is a character for whom there can be no redemption, right? And and like mm. I kind of just mentioned like he even at this point if he died here Arthas would never be a character that uh that would be able to find redemption in some way or you could look in a pragmatic way and say well Arthas did what needed to be done. Um you know Arthas is a super villain of Warcraft and you know whereas an anti hero like Medivh or Illidan Stormrage can find some measure of redemption. A straight up villain like Arthas never can. And it is, it is, there is a tragic father and son element to the Terranus Arthas story, right? Because there's that beautiful speech that Terranus gives over the Wrath of Lich King cinematic about, you know, Arthas, my son the forest of Lordaeron whispered your name on the day you were born and all that stuff. It's just, it's so well done, you know, and, and it's, it's sort of that hope that every parent has for their child. And, and, you know, it's, it's this, it's this classic high fantasy conceit or trope of of the, you know, the, the impetuous young prince. And it just goes in, in this completely wrong direction. And, um, that's an
0: interesting point that it is, the game is carp, compartmentalized in such a way that arthas doesn't get that chance but at the Mm -hmm. same time illidan did get that chance by being unredeemable sort of in the end of burning crusade but that's like a illidan right and b (laughs) it's a different timeline illidan that then charges it's
1: it's the same character it there's some retconning involved the the story of burning crusade is a whole there's a whole other kettle of fish, but <laughs> you know, you know, I think the, th- the difference, when you look at a character like Yildon Stormrage and you look at a character like Arthas Menethil, Arthas's intentions are always c- crystal clear to everyone mm. around him, right? And yeah. that, I think that is the core of the character. He is headstrong. He is confident in himself. He's also kind of a dope, and he gets led around by the nose, by the Lich King, and by the Dreadlords, and he makes a lot of terrible decisions as a result of that because he never questions himself.
0: It's just not fair because I played yeah. Sim. Like it with him. Like it's such, yeah. It's it's such a unique video game thing to walk away from and said, "And you're a bad person for playing it." And yeah, it, like you
1: you controlled the bad guy who did all. The-
0: and it, it's it's a, a fourth over at that point. Like that is yeah, yeah. What a stepping stone. I mean,
1: in Illidan's case, you know, Illidan is also a character better than everybody else, except the difference is that Illidan is this you know uh, millennia's old, mille- Millenniums, millennia old uh you know super powerful sorcerer who actually does know better than everyone and is the only one with the will to enact what needs to be done. He he actually has pure intentions. Uh, it's just that he understands that things are going to get messy in order to get there. You know, or Arthas's no intentions. Skills. Yeah, right, exactly. Arthas's intentions are more along the line of like uh he, he's sort of like a, a a dog, you know, or like a puppy. He he's just sort of drawn to the thing that's immediately in front of him and he can't take a step back and he can't, he can't expand his horizons beyond his immediate objective. So, you know, and, and that's, that's sort of what ultimately leads him to becoming a villain and sort of finding this, you know, this, this legacy that, that he, he ends up with and we will talk about it a bit next time when we talk about Arthas, but, um, you know, Ar- Arthas is is a, a cursed name in in World of Warcraft, right? In the, in the world that Warcraft inhabits, he's he's one of the ultimate villains. He should have been the kind of the shining hope, right? The favored son of Lordaeron, and instead he destroyed everything he ever touched. And, you know, there's, there's no way back f- for somebody like that. But
0: I love him. <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> and thank you for sharing all that with us. I had an awesome time getting to hear all the lore of it. There's certainly going to be more to come. There's the Scourge itself. There's everything. All the ridiculous things that Arthas makes cameos in throughout the rest of the game, as well as his uh, own adventures in the final campaign of Frozen Throne. But that's Mm -hmm. for another day. And there'll certainly be more episodes, more lore episodes in this season of Reforged Radio. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Jason, where can people find you on the interwebs?
1: The best place to find me is over on Twitter. You can find me over at ShieldWald, always talking whenever I'm getting into in and around World of Warcraft and other video games. And you can also find me streaming WoW on twitch.tv slash ShieldWald. Of course, if you want more podcasting goodness, you can check out The Starting Zone. It's a wall-to-wall uh, World of Warcraft show talking about what's new and notable each and every week. You can find that on your podcatcher of choice or iTunes, Spotify, Google, all the usual places, new episodes, every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. over on twitch.tv slash spazbotstudios.
0: You can find everything about this show over at kyleferguson.com, including a contact link for future mailback episodes. Send those on over as we are halfway through the season. And hope you're enjoying Warcraft Three. We will see you next week for more Reforged Radio.